May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I know somebody who is an avid golfer, and a few years ago she clued me into a tip she had to improve her golf swing. There were all these small little phrases and ideas that she'd been given by her coach over time that she wanted to internalize, and so she distilled them down into sticky note-sized reminders and stuck them on her bathroom mirror so that as she got ready in the morning, she could be reminded of an important tip. You know, you wash your face and you look up and you see, keep your hips loose. You brush your teeth, you look up, Keep your eye on the puck. Clearly, golf is not my thing. But you get the point. These small tips on your golf swing that you're reminded of every day. Some of you might find three, four, five days into Lent that you need the same kind of reminder for yourself. A do not enter sign posted on the handle of the liquor cabinet door an icon of a wagging finger on your phone in place of your go-to social media app, a sticky note perhaps on your bathroom mirror reminding you of this year's Lenten discipline. Do not yell at the children. <laughs> Especially hard since vacation week begins today, as you can see. If you find yourself embarrassed that you need a reminder like this to remember your Lenten practice, lest you instantly forget what you've committed to do for 40 days, don't be. You're in good company. Because as the book of Genesis tells us today, even God needs to set a reminder sometimes to honor the commitments that God has made. A post-it note on the proverbial bathroom mirror reminding God of the nature of the covenant with Noah. Remember, never again make a flood to destroy all flesh. Right. After all, that's strangely where we begin Lent today, with this odd little aside in Genesis about God's invention of the rainbow. I don't know whether the ancient Israelites would have taken it at face value or found it as funny as I do, but it makes me laugh to think that God needs a sign like this after the great flood. We human beings are apparently so frustrating to God that every time it rains, God's tempted to let things just keep going and wipe everything out again. But God has committed not to do that, and so God puts a rainbow in the sky and remembers, right, we've been there before. And God sees it and remembers the everlasting covenant that God has made never to destroy all life again. At the very least, it should give a whole new meaning to the phenomenon of the double rainbow, not just an extra special moment of magic for us, but perhaps a sign that humankind is really getting on God's nerves right now. But there's something serious in this image, too, and so I want to stay with it this morning and ask, what can God's covenant sign of the rainbow tell us about the nature of our own commitments, our own spiritual lives this Lent? The unusual thing about the covenant that God makes with Noah, of which this rainbow is the sign, is that it's entirely one-sided. You probably know the story of the flood. Humankind has become so wicked that God decides to wipe us out and start over. But God saves one righteous man named Noah and his family, and they build an ark, and they load the animals in two by two. 
and God floods the earth and destroys all life. And then God makes this covenant, this agreement with Noah. It's not like the covenants that God will make in later times with the Israelites. Those ones are covenants in the sense of treaties, two-sided agreements, conditional agreements. Over and over, God says, if you obey the commandments and the laws that I'm giving you this day, then I will blank, bless you, things will go well for you, right? But this covenant with Noah is one-sided. It's unconditional. God gets nothing in return. God simply promises, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the water of a flood. God realizes, I think, in this moment, that God can't control what human beings do. We will sometimes do good. We will sometimes do evil. God can give laws and send teachers and prophets to show us a better way, but we're not puppets or robots. God can't control us, but God can choose not to destroy us again. And you can do this too. You can choose how you act on your own. In the season of Lent, we often focus on repentance and reconciliation. And you might consider whether there are relationships in your life where this kind of one-sided covenant is exactly what you need to make. You can't control how anyone around you behaves. None of us can. Most of us can barely control how we behave, but we have at least some more influence over that one. So ask yourself, is there anyone in my life whom I need to treat like God treats humankind? Is there anyone who just gets on my nerves, who tests me intentionally or not, Anyone who, despite my best efforts to fix and change them, I cannot fix or change? What would it look like for you to give up on that person changing and make an unconditional covenant instead to recognize that you can't control their actions, but you can control yours, and to respond to them, to choose to respond to them, not with anger and destruction, but with restraint and with a nice rainbow in the sky? In the same way, if there's something in your life that you need to give up, it doesn't have to be about another person. If there's something that you need to give up, some pattern in your own behavior or thinking, you alone can give it up. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you can just choose, but you're the only one. It's a one-sided choice, and it is in your power. So the question is, what kind of sign do you need to remind yourself to follow through on that one-sided agreement you've made? I notice that God chooses a sign of great beauty. It's not a wagging finger on the home screen of the phone or an instructive post-it note that God sets in the sky, but a rainbow, a thing of beauty, and a thing whose beauty is linked to the destruction that it brings. God takes the water vapor that would have flooded the earth and instead refracts the light of the sun, and it's as if this beauty is meant to jar God out of the passive path of anger. That's right. This is what water is for. Lent comes with its own strange kind of beauty, this odd 40-day season that we've entered into, a period that can be short and can feel very long. If you're fasting from something, giving something up, it can feel like a chore or a struggle. If you're trying to repent from some pattern in your life, it can be hard. If you're trying to reconcile with someone you need to forgive, well, that's always done better in the future. 
And yet there can be a beauty in all of these things. It's not the beauty of the vacation or the luxurious retreat. It's the beauty of the desert, of the wilderness, of stripping things away and finding what's there beneath. It's the satisfaction of a struggle won. And you might observe how it actually feels for you in your own body to give up the thing you're trying to give up or to take on the thing you might be taking on. It might turn out that the beauty of that sign, the beauty of that practice in your life, is actually greater than the thing that you've given up or not taken on. In other words, that the beauty of the rainbow is greater than that delicious satisfaction of destructive justice. That your Lenten practice this year is not all self-denial and discipline, but that it contains some gift for you as well. But in the end, there's a third thing that this covenant sign of the rainbow tells us, and it's this. Lent is not about our work. It's about God's work. We spend our 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, and we may feel like we succeed or fail in that, but Jesus has been there before us, been tempted for us. We try to turn away from our destructive ways, from the patterns in our lives that aren't giving us life, but God has already pledged not to destroy things, and it's God who will ultimately succeed in that. The question of Lent is not how we can be more like God, more perfect in our restraint and our forgiveness, how we can resist temptation in the wilderness, what we have to learn from the sign of the rainbow. It's about what God has already done for us and given us a sign of in each of these things. Because Lent is not just 40 days of giving something up with a celebration at the end. Lent is the path that leads to Good Friday. Lent is the road that leads us to the cross where God makes that promise real, never again to destroy all flesh, but to be destroyed instead, and to somehow give us new life through that destruction and death. The day on which, as First Peter says, Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, and invites us into that new spiritual life. And that is the ultimate beauty of Lent, it's the beauty of the rainbow, of God's unconditional promise of love and forgiveness. If you succeed in giving up something or taking something on for 40 days, well done. But Good Friday's coming all the same. And if you fail again and again and again, or if you never start at all, it's okay. Because Jesus has already endured those 40 days for you. Lent is not an achievement or a way to earn God's love or forgiveness. It's an invitation to learn something about yourself, a way to experiment with your own willpower, always remembering that God loves you whatever the results, that God's covenant with you comes with no strings attached, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, whether you repent or not, and whatever you believe about that good news. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.